Welcome back to Your Province, Your Premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. Every Saturday morning at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Danielle Smith about a few issues of the day. But really, it's your opportunity to speak with the Premier directly to ask those questions that you want to ask to voice your concerns. Whatever's on your mind, I only ask that you please keep it short and respect, respectful. Premier Smith does want to hear from you. It's been a couple weeks since the holidays, so in case you forgot the numbers, in Calgary, it's 403-974-8255. At Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Premier Smith, Happy New Year, what? our first show of 2023. It is. It's so nice to see you, and Happy New Year to you too, Wayne. Hope you had a good one. Yes, it was, and I hope you were able to enjoy a, a bit of downtime during the holidays. There are a, a very tiny bit. The issues don't stop, and the emergency don't stop, so there's always something to deal with. For but it, sure. it was uh, it was nice to spend some time with family. Well, I'll bet there was more on your plate than ham or turkey, so to speak. <laughs> well put, there was, and I had a lot of ham and a lot of turkey. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, before we get to the phones, let's uh, talk about the affordability payment program. Now, I understand details are going to be announced on Monday. What's been released so far, six $100 affordability payments for each senior and for each child under the age of 18 in those households with a yearly income of $180,000. Now, will those six payments be made monthly? Can you... Can you say that? Yes, this is how it's going to work. So I'm just so pleased with the work that Matt Jones, our affordability and utilities minister, as well as Nate Glubish, our technology and innovation minister, have done because the approach they wanted to take was an online portal so that people are able to go online and register, do a declaration of income, put in their bank account information so that we're able to do these monthly payments. That's how we're intending to do it. It's uh, the other group that's going to get the monthly payments are those who are on income supports, so seniors benefit age and other and programs. And that'll be automatic because that they're already automatic on because they're already on, exactly. Sure. But we wanted to make it a, as simple as possible. And, and part of it is building the internal capacity within our own government services so that we have the ability to do more of these types of supports in the future. So now, this will be this will be the first rollout and we'll be able to have uh, more details on that on Monday on, on when exactly the portal is going to be available. Okay, now there has been some early criticism that the portal system may not be able to handle it. It's it's all well and good to provide those assurances that the system will work, but if it doesn't, then as they say, the buck stops with you and that may not be a good thing if it, if it fails. Wayne, I can guarantee you that as soon as it's announced, everyone's going to want to leap on all at once and it will overwhelm the system. I've seen that happen many times before. I would just tell people, be patient and we'll see if there's a way that we can, and I'll talk to Matt and to, and to Nate Kalubish about this to see if there's a way that maybe by um, uh, area of the province or by postal code or by phone number or by name, we might be able to stage it a little bit so that we can uh, prevent that surge. But I think what, what, what will happen, and I've seen this before because we have had government programs and portals before is that after a couple of days um, the uh, volume ends up subsiding and people are able to get on so I would just say people should be patient that once they get signed up they'll only have to do it once right. and then they'll be able to get it monthly but uh, I, I do expect that there's going to be a couple of glitches but we uh, we've got to work for, through that because we've got to develop this capacity internally that's really important all right affordability one major area of concern for albertans health care is the other new data out yesterday shows that more than 900 people are in hospital with covid there's word of yet another variant surprise surprise but what measurable progress has been made on the health front since your by-election win two months ago, almost two months ago to the day, if I'm not mistaken, or, or can that health progress 
be measured so early? It's measured in increments. And I'll tell you a couple of the things that, that Dr. John Cowell has identified. One of the things, I, there were three things I was really concerned about. One was the surgical capacity and the long surgical wait times. We were at 69,000 people waiting for surgery. And so he looked out into the, uh, the available operating rooms that weren't in service. And he found 55 that weren't in service. And many of them can uh, have, require some very simple fixes to get them back in operation. Not for just instance, a staffing concern? No, no, no. And uh, Camrose, for instance, their, their HVAC system was down. So he uh, he, he made sure that they uh, put the HVAC system back in order. And it sounds like well, it'll be up and running again in uh, in the new year. We've got two upgraded operating rooms that open in Northern Lights Regional Health Centre in Fort McMurray. Construction continues on four more. We've increased access to orthopedic surgeries in Northern Alberta through a new surgical program at Hinton. We've done a, an, a, a new process that just began on December 21st to allow for people who have been on long waits for orthopedic surgeries to get connected faster with doctors. So that's one part. The other part is the uh, the, the wait in emergency rooms when somebody shows up because they're sick. And when I got first got elected, I was looking at the, the website where we, we post what the expected time is at each of our major centers. Yes. And it was 15 or 17 hours. It was outrageous. Um, I've been uh, What they did is they've asked their staff to work in a bit of a different way so that we can shorten triage times. They put more resources, particularly in our children's hospitals. And as a result, I've been watching it and, and they've been far more reasonable. I mean, we're still not out of the woods because we've got a long respiratory virus season ahead of us, but I have not seen weights as extraordinary as that ever since Dr. John Cowell got in place. And then the third thing is the, the, the amount of ambulance hospital wait time. When somebody drops a patient off, Sometimes they're sitting there for an entire shift. Sure. Sometimes they actually have a new crew that comes in. And, and has sitting to in the wait back, with the patient. And that is unacceptable. Yeah. What our goal should be is that over 90% of ambulance trips should be able to be in and dropped off and back on the road within 45 minutes. That's what we're, that's what we're striving for. So we're about to get some measurables around that. But I want people to know that that is the target that we're going for. We, and the, to, to begin that process, we announced that we were going to have these non-ambulance transfer vehicles. And that, because I think the dynamic that happens in rural Alberta is that if somebody needs to come in from Medicine Hat into Calgary for a route visit, as soon as they get caught in Calgary, they never end up getting back home to their home community because they end up getting dispatched here. If we find different vehicles to do that kind of transfer, then we'll be able to preserve all of those emergency vehicles in their home community. So those are the things that I would say we're making great progress on. My next big one is making sure everyone has a family doctor. That's what I keep hearing over and over and over again, is that we have to find maybe new funding models so that we can get team practices, but everybody needs to have a medical home because if you don't have a doctor to call when you get sick and and you don't have a walking clinic close by, where do you go? You go to the emergency room. That's part of the reason our emergency rooms are overwhelmed. So that's going to be in the new year. One of my big priorities is to address that. All right. Last issue before we head to the phones. A couple of things from Prime Minister Trudeau this week. First, the announcement of his plan to move workers from the oil and gas industry to other industries. Now, on the surface, it would seem to be a move to help workers diversify their skills. I know you have some opinion on that. Uh, Second, uh, the Prime Minister is urging Alberta to use some of its budget surplus to increase tax credits to help carbon capture and storage. So if we could try and tackle both of those fairly quickly. You know, when they came up with this idea of just transition, the first time I heard that terminology was when they were talking about our coal workers and it was to shut down the coal industry. So when they started using the same language on our oil and natural gas workers, let me be perfectly clear. 
We are not going to be shutting down our oil and natural gas industry. We are not going to be uh, transitioning our workers who are in good, high-paying, meaningful, important jobs into installing solar panels, which was the idiocy that uh, envir- that uh, uh, Elizabeth May was first proposing when this kind of thing came out. The kind of jobs that are going to be expanded in the oil and gas industry will involve reclamation of well sites that will allow for more jobs to be in that industry, reclaiming those sites and and putting them back to their natural condition. We we will be developing a hydrogen um, uh, infrastructure network. So there'll be more jobs in hydrogen. The base fuel from that is methane, natural gas. We will be developing carbon technology to capture CO2 and bury it underground, which I think is recognized around the world as the only way that we're going to make meaningful progress towards reducing emissions. So if if that's what the prime minister is talking about, is helping our oil and natural gas workers find other jobs in related industries, then we can work with him. But we are not going to be shutting this industry down. Have you had down. any further clarification from the prime minister's office? We're working on it. And okay. and I'm, I must say that the, the, the notion of being able to support carbon uh, capture, utilization and storage, we're not Johnny come lately to this issue. We were the lead on this issue. So he's acting as if we're behind. You have to remember all the way back in 2007, we, uh, 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 then Premier Ed Stelmack, he put significant resources into investing in carbon technology as part of the reason why we have some major demonstration projects like like Shell and the, uh, the, 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 uh, the trunk line that's been built as well. So th- th- this is not something that we are late to the table on. It's, it's the Prime Minister who is late to the table right. on this. And we will continue to support carbon technology and if we can find a way to work collaboratively with him we will but it it doesn't help when he keeps on firing these shots across the bow at us without even picking up the phone and giving us a call to tell us what it is that he has in mind i'm I'm not impressed with what i've what i've been seeing i think he's been doing this his government's been doing this for the last year invading our territory and very invading our jurisdiction and it's got to stop we can take care of our own business we can take care of our natural resources we can develop conservation policies we can have our own climate plan and that's what we intend to do he has to in his own lane. All right. Uh, it's usually about time for a break, but I want to hit one phone call before we uh, before we do that. So uh, Justin has been hanging on. Justin's calling in from Edmonton. Justin, a uh, regular caller to this show. Uh, go ahead, Justin. You're on the air with Premier Danielle Smith. Good morning, Premier Smith. Hi, Justin. My question is about the um, uh, free speech and professional regulatory bodies. So as you may know, Jordan Peterson is being disciplined by the Ontario College of Psychologists for for political views that they do that they disagree with. Should you and Casey Allard work on a plan to strengthen our free speech law so that something like that cannot happen here? I like what you're saying, um, Justin, because look, these regulatory bodies are to protect patients. That's what they're there for. The, the complaints that should be coming towards them is to make sure that patients are, are treated appropriately and if there are any bad actors, any doctors who are, who are engaging in practices that are harmful, that is what they are supposed to be regulating. They are not supposed to be some free speech cops. So I'm watching with great interest what's happening in Ontario. I'm, I've already begun engaging with our colleges here because we don't want uh, to go down that same track here. I think it's uh, it's a real problem. And if there are instances in Alberta where, uh, where, where people who are, who are governed by one of those pr- professional colleges feel like they're getting the same treatment, I'd like to know about it. And, and certainly Tracy Allard's office would like to know about it. So I'll just put that out there that, uh, that, that we, we need to be aware if this kind of thing is happening here because it's not acceptable. All right, back to your calls and text in a moment. I'm Wayne Nelson. You're listening to Your Province, Your Premier.
If you're just joining us today, you're listening to Your Province, Your Premier, heard every Saturday morning for listeners throughout Alberta. In Edmonton on 630 Chad and right here in Calgary on 770 CHQR. It's your opportunity to be heard by the Premier to chat one-on-one or to send a text message with Premier Danielle Smith. And let's go right to a text message right off the bat. This is uh, coming in from Tom who says, ask the Premier what tax year will the assistance money be based on? The what tax year the assistance money will be based on? That will be the 2022 tax year. All right. Um, but uh, uh, so, but again, it's it's it is a self declaration. I don't. I, I have to double check because we didn't want to make it too cumbersome. We had talked about whether it would be a particular line in a tax return. But if we did that, then people wouldn't have that information until April, right? And right. so I think we're, we're we're doing it on the honor system. It's a hundred eighty thousand family income. We just want people to declare. Yeah, I'm eligible for eligible for the program, but it would be looking last year at what you made in 2022. Okay. Another healthcare question. This is coming in from Robin, uh, calling in from Calgary. Good morning, Robin. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Good morning, Premier Smith. How are you? I'm good. Nice to hear your voice. This is an easy call because I'm sending bouquets to everything you have said this morning about fixing our healthcare system. Um, I just spent five days in there with a stroke. And when I left, they sent me home early because new stroke patients were coming in, setting them up in the hallway, no monitors, no, just, honestly, it was sad. It was very sad. Um, It's the fact that they don't have beds. That is the problem. Yeah, you're (laughs) totally... staffing. Staff was awesome. You know, I hear that a lot, actually, that uh, the the frustration is getting to get to see the the, the person to treat you. But once the treatment begins, everybody is just so delighted. And that, I I think, goes to the professionalism of our frontline staff who have just done an amazing job under tough conditions over the past two and a half years. But that is what we're working on is ways in which we can free up some of those beds, just like you described, because uh, and we'll have a couple of announcements in that regard next week, because there are a number of people, once their condition is stabilized, that they can be moved to a transition facility for monitoring and convalescence, which would allow for us to free up more beds so that we can have those acute patients coming in. And stroke, as you know, so important to be able to get the treatment right away, because you can you can make sure that you prevent long-term problems. So uh, I'm glad you had a good experience. We just want to make sure everybody has that same experience. So thanks for calling in on that. Text message coming in from Edmonton, uh, from Stephanie, I bu- or M, it's from M, sorry. Where will all the excess tax money, transfer payment money come from if Alberta's oil is shut down? It's a major point that should be made, especially when it comes to Quebec. It, you're, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the federal government cannot have policies that disproportionately harm one province relative to everybody else. I mean, it's us in Saskatchewan who would be the most harmed by what it is that they're proposing. And I can tell you, if if the draconian measures that they are talking about come through, they want to. They've also been talking about an emissions cap on our energy sector, on oil and natural gas, that would reduce emissions forty two percent by twenty thirty. There's no possible way to do that. There's not enough time frame for us to develop the technology and implement the carbon capture. Uh, that we would need to to make that happen. And as a result, it would sh- it would shut in our, our oil. I'm told as much as 2 million barrels, which is about half our production, which is about, and just do the math on that, half of all the jobs that are in the sector, half of all our royalties that are in the sector, billions of dollars at the same time that they're increasing the equalization program. 
of which we pay disproportionately into. That is the insult, I think, that Albertans feel, is that it's, oh, keep the money coming to Ottawa so it can be distributed elsewhere, and then they continue to put hits on our industry that end up contracting our ability to hire people and to generate our own revenues. We, we, we just can't stand for that. So we do know, we have, I've been on this for the last couple of years because I've been watching the offensive policies that have come through. It's part of the reason why we put up the shield and said we are going to assert ourselves in our full area of jurisdiction and we intend to. We will put programs in place that are able to achieve emissions reductions targets with innovation, with technology. Our, our uh, major players are already moving in that regard. We've got all of the major oil sands uh, companies. We've got Dow Chemical, Air Products that all have ag- uh, aggressive plans to expand but be but be neutral on emissions. That's the solution for the future, and that's, and that's what we're going to tell the Prime Minister. All right. Text message coming in from uh, 630 Ched. Is the inflation assistance for six months an attempt to get you past the next election? Well, here's the, the, the challenge when you're trying to bring through affordability measures. And as Matt Jones has said, our affordability and utilities minister, either you have an affordability crisis or you don't. And if you do, you've got to do something about it. And so I, I, I understand that, 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 that people are, some people feel like it's too generous, other feels that it's not generous enough. I believe there's an affordability crisis. I see it when I've gone door knocking because I, I, I did that recently in Brooks Medicine Hat. I hear from seniors telling me about how they're struggling with the rising cost of groceries, the rising cost of home heating, electricity, as well as their, medica- their medications. I hear about it from families with teenagers when they talk about taking their kids out to activities. We're in winter again, also home heating and electricity costs, as well as affordability on groceries. So there, there we, I can't hear those stories where people are, are suffering hardship and do nothing about it when part of the reason why we have the ability to support people is that we are getting higher amounts of revenues in because of the oil and natural gas prices being higher. So, uh, you know, people can uh, can judge as they will. I feel very confident that we're doing the right thing. We, we have to help our, our, our most vulnerable and we also have to help our seniors and we have to help families with kids. All right. Aaron is uh, calling in from Northern Alberta on an AHS COVID vaccine question. Aaron, you're on the air with Premier Danielle Smith. Go ahead. Hey, good morning, Premier. Uh, to both of you, um, just a question I, I see on TV, social media, uh, you know, billboards, the government and AHS, you know, the Alberta logo is on there. It's continuing to push covid vaccines and telling people to get boosted uh it's not my opinion there is proof out there that you know other countries have dropped these things for people under 50 and for kids and there's there's widespread acceptance that they're doing damage and yet we continue to be suggesting people should get them so i'm just wondering it's costing alberta money to to do that to roll out these programs those that want them probably have them and and second thing municipalities and other employees are still requiring vaccine mandates. So I'm just wondering what your thought is on those things. I'd be interested in knowing about the mandates. So that's a, one, one more thing you should just make me aware of because I, I haven't heard very many of those. I think to um, to the credit of, of most employers, they have dropped their mandates. And I'm grateful for that because I don't think we should be having dim- discrimination for any reason in our province. But on the issue of, uh, of vaccination, we know that we've been hit with three different types of viruses this respiratory virus season. RSV, for which there is no vaccine. Influenza, for which there is. And I'm, I'm told that it's actually a pretty good match this year. Sometimes it isn't because we get we get an early indication of what's coming our way from what we see in Australia and New Zealand, and then we reformulate the influenza vaccine. And so Dr. John Cowell told me it's actually a pretty good match this year. And then, of, of course, the, uh, the, the, the COVID vaccine. 
And we were already seeing that there is an additional um, uh, variant that is out there that, the that wouldn't be co- yeah that wouldn't be covered by this, and unfortunately, and that and th- that's just sort of the nature of things is that um, especially with these constantly um, uh, modifying uh, uh, viruses, we're always trying to stay one step ahead of it. I I defer to the medical professionals and doctors and patients. So talk to your doctor, find out if those are th- those are, are right for you, make your own decision. Certainly those who are most vulnerable are are very old in the case of uh, of COVID but also are very young in the case of influenza. Those are those are ones that the, the docs have been saying for 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 sure that you should talk to the doctor and see if it's right for you. And and look, I'm I'm for medical choice. I'm I, I think that's really important that that people um, are, are supported in the choice that they make. Best choice as we always have heard is if you feel sick stay home uh, make sure that you keep distance uh, cover your mouth when you cough wash your hands those are those are also ways that you can prevent uh, prevent getting sick but um, I'm going to just sort of leave it to the doctors to, to give you advice as a patient about what you should do all right we're going to uh, flip topics here Don calling in from Edmonton on justice reform go ahead Don you're on with Premier Danielle Smith hi Danielle Premier hi Smith. Um, Recently, I was listening to 630 Ted for all those people that want to go to the audio vault and listen to him. He was on January 6th at 6 a.m., about seven minutes after. But his name's Michael, like in the angel guy, and the last name is Spratt, S-P-R-A-T-T. He's a Canadian lawyer. You can Google him. But uh, he was mentioning everything that is wrong with our current justice system and how it could be repaired. Maybe you could put him on the tax roll kind of thing because it's all related into healthcare. like if you look at like simple diabetes they said one out of three people will develop diabetes and it's cost the system 30 billion dollars a year wouldn't it be able to just take the super refined sugars out of the diet and then we other caller was referring to the vaccination shots i'll, I'll stop after this one but we, they've already proven that one third of them like japan's launched an investigation and this and that but i've seen the pfizer documents i've seen the cdc documents they all know that there's a problem with some of them, but they ship them anyway. So, and then I guess my last question would be, why come Trudeau's making money on vaccination shots? <laughs> Even though we know one third of them are any good. You know, I've never had that verified. I know people say that the Trudeau Foundation was making money off the provision of these nanolipids. I, I don't know if that's a conspiracy theory. I think that's what you're referring to. I, I certainly can't verify that. Uh, I do know that, that, that Justin Trudeau did... Um, he did sign contracts that uh, would allow for, I think, every Canadian to have 11 doses. So, And I, I don't think that we're able to cancel them. And I think that uh, there, there might be some, uh, some investigation that needs to be done about whether or not we got the best value on, on pre-purchasing that way. I'm, I'm quite concerned about that. I am also watching what's happening in Japan. I'm watching what's happening in Florida. So I keep an eye on, on these things. Uh, but I, until we see some good solid medical information and medical data i'd rather just reserve judgment on that in the meantime i'm asking people to just talk to the doctor find out what is right for you and i'll I'll see what i can do about looking i I wish you'd been able to tell me a little bit more about michael spratt because I, i can tell you that it is a grave grave concern to me that we have a catch and release program that is happening across our our justice system. We're seeing the the absolute tragic results of that in Ontario with uh, with officers being targeted. I, I did have an opportunity to talk to Premier Doug Ford, and he says these are assassinations, and we've got to stop this. He's looking for support from all of the premiers to to stop this this program of letting violent offenders back out on the street. And I said, you got my support, 100%. We can't continue doing this. We've got to make sure that people who are at risk to reoffend stay behind bars. 
cars so that they don't go out and create calamity in the communities. People are, are fearful of, of, of taking public transit. They're fearful of walking in our major centres downtown at night. And we've got to reclaim our public spaces. So I'd be I'd be quite interested in seeing what his, what his suggestions are. I, th- I hope I answered all of your questions, but it seems like you stacked a lot yeah, of them he, there, Michael. You did stack. All right. Uh, back to an affordability question. Uh, this is a text coming in from Ched. I am a single making $45,000 a year. I'm 60 years old. Why do you think I'm not suffering from inflation enough to qualify? And please don't say I get other help like gas tax. So does so does everyone else. Singles never seem to qualify. Uh, it is it is an issue, and I I have heard that it, it is complicated though because we we want to just make sure that we are targeting the support to those who need it most, and it it, it is the case when you become a senior citizen, you do just have extra costs in fixed income. When you have kids in a household, there are just extra costs associated with that. So those seem to be pretty uh, uh, pretty direct payments that we could give. I know that uh, Matt Jones is looking at other ways that we can offer support. Uh, certainly through uh, uh, trying to address the issue of auto insurance, which has been a, a, a big problem for at least a portion of our insurance payers, as well as if there's some way that we can work with the grocery industry to, um, to address the issue of the cost of staples. So he's he's commencing that work, and there may be other things that we will be able to announce. We, we wanted to make sure that we had a clearly defined program that we could launch very quickly because we knew that those three target groups are, are those who are on fixed income, our seniors, as well as our um, as, as families with kids needed to be our, our priority going in. We also have price stability for electricity, price stability as well for natural gas, which is really important for all of us as we get into the, the winter season here. So um, just know we're looking at it, but we, we, we felt like we needed to have a targeted program. Lots of affordability and health questions on the text line, on the phone line today. Um, Please bear with us. We'll try and get to you. There are there are so many. We're not going to be able to get to everyone, but uh, please uh, keep calling in. Uh, Andy has been holding for 26 minutes, Premier Smith. Uh, he's calling in from Bruderheim on uh, an oil-related question. Go ahead, Andy. You're on with Premier Smith. Good morning, Premier Smith. Thank you for giving me time today. My pleasure, Andy. What's uh, on your mind? I'd like to know, and, and I may be dealing with this in a too simplistic way, but with... Russia rejecting the, I believe it was a $60 cap that Canada agreed to uh, on oil. Is there now an opportunity for Alberta to make headway towards the east uh, for them to be buying our oil instead of uh, seeking it elsewhere? And if so, do you have any kind of plan for that? Do you have a team in place or... There's an, a number of things that we can do. I think our, our biggest opportunity is on natural gas. We're, we're still going to, to keep on producing oil and doing it for a very long period of time. Uh, and we, I mean, the, the, the big problem that we had, of course, was Keystone XL being cancelled and then the federal government doing nothing to defend us on that. Northern Gateway being cancelled, Energy East being cancelled. The good news is that we are at least moving forward on the Trans Mountain expansion. I think it is 
getting very close to the finish line on that. And so once that opens up, that creates a, a new opportunity for markets for us because once oil gets onto the ocean, it can really go anywhere. So yes, on that front. The, the other big opportunity, though, is on, on gas with Coastal Gas Link coming to completion. I've been told as well that there are approvals for three additional routes, two of them Embridge, Embridge lines, one of them TC Energy lines. And if we could just get the approvals on LNG plants on the coast... That would also allow us to open up new markets on uh, for for our gas coming from from Grand Prairie. So I'm I have a, a group of of, uh, of folks who are in energy, which also includes my energy minister Pete Guthrie and Matt Jones, our uh, affordability and utilities minister, working on a long range plan for Alberta's future. But it does involve us meeting that additional supply. If we if we continue to talk about how we can develop our resource, use carbon technology to reduce emissions, move into the hydrogen space, th- there is no. Re- reason why we can't be expanding our production on both of those fronts. That's the mindset that we've got to get into. That's what we're fighting back against in Ottawa. They, they think that the solution is shutting in, and they're wrong. The, the, the solution has always been technology, innovation, and making sure that we are displacing more polluting fuels internationally. That is going to be, I think, the way that Canada can have the, the biggest impact, having the best product environmentally providing energy security as well as energy affordability from one of the best places in the world to be able to produce it. So we're, we're, working, we're working hard on, on finding those routes. Harry has uh, been hanging on. He's calling in from Edmonton on carbon capture. Harry, uh, just a couple more minutes. We'll get to you in a second. Uh, text message coming in from uh, QR. Uh, f- why the gas tax? It was to come off on the 1st of January. Today on the 7th in our village with one gas station, uh, the price jumped today. Uh, that's uh, Tony uh, wants to know why the pri- uh, price jumped when the uh, gas tax uh, has come down. I'm going to do my very best to channel Dan McTeague because when I was uh, on the <laughs> on the air, anytime I saw something hinky happening in gas prices, I would give Dan McTeague from Gas Buddy a call. He's now with the Canadians for Affordable Energy, and so I did that. I said, "What is going on with gas prices?" Because we at the moment that our gas tax came off completely. So it's 13.6 cents that we are not collecting anymore. Uh, some of the stations increased. And what he told me was that in the last two weeks of the, of the 2022 year, wholesale prices went up 20 cents. And he said the, the, the retailers just held on and held on and held on and didn't increase. But he told me that anyone who was selling for less than $1.20 was subsidizing their customers. So um, so I accept that as a as a, an answer because that sometimes happens when that they're they're going to hold There's off on increasing time. because they they want people to come in because so many of the so so much of the gas bar model now is getting people in the door so that they'll buy chips and pop and and all the, and other, all the things. other things yeah. and so I can understand why retailers sometimes do that but when they move in tandem it makes people think that there's collusion so I get that but there are two different ways that we can make sure that we prevent that Dale Nally is already all over it he's my my red tape minister they have a monitoring department to make sure that the Prices are not gouging, and there's huge penalties if we do find evidence of gouging. It's $300,000 fine and up to two years in jail. So there are serious penalties. What I would say to put it into context is this increase in wholesale prices happened across the country. So when we compared where our averages were compared to the rest of the country, uh, we're at about a buck twenty-seven. The um, uh, the average in the country is about a dollar forty-seven. In British Columbia, it's the highest. It's a dollar sixty-three. So I can say with confidence that Albertans have the lowest gas prices in the country, and that's what we want to do. We should be. We produce the the, the product here. We we should be able to deliver the lowest absolutely, prices here. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. I promised that Harry would be next. 
Good to my word. Harry calling in from Edmonton on carbon capture. Go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hey, good morning, and uh, thank you for accepting my call. I just want to say uh, <clears throat> I got three little things, and I'll be real quick. Okay. Okay. So um, the first one is uh, I just want to extend the best wishes to all the Ukrainian people because it's their Ukrainian Christmas. Today. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for that, Harry. Happy happy You're Christmas. Welcome. Merry Christmas. Yes. And uh, we have a couple projects that are on the shelf and they haven't been the shovels haven't put been put in the ground. So like basically a Dow Chemical and the one that was a fed, uh, federal uh, there on 17th Street by uh, Suncor uh, Liquid Air. So when are those going to kick off? I, I just had a, a chance to meet with a member of the Chemistry Association this week down in, in my riding in Brooks Medicine Hat. There's a wonderful um, plant called Methanex. And so they they have been doing um, a, a production of methanol and they want to add carbon capture to, their, to one of their processes. Uh, one of the things that they came back with is it would be great if we could have a carbon... Um, some kind of investment tax credit so that they could defray a portion of the cost. So I'm getting that from a number of different companies and the chemistry industry rep affirmed for me as well that we had announced 14 different projects that came out of this support that we're doing through the Alberta Petrochemical Incentive Program that if we just added carbon capture to that program, it would help to make the investment decision final. So that's the conversation that we're having internally is how can we do more support for carbon capture? I think we've already demonstrated, as I mentioned earlier, that we're a leader on this. We have done significant uh, support. I'm of the view that I like companies to be able to keep more of their own money to invest in their own business as opposed to transfer from taxpayers. So that's part of the reason why we're, we're looking at how we might be able to do that through a tax incentive. So the conversation is still ongoing, but that's the kind of conversation that uh, that we're trying to integrate with the federal level. All right. Text message from uh, here in Calgary. Looks like Calgary area. Uh, please, I am begging you on behalf of all seniors, please bring a rent control in this province. Please. It is completely out of control. We moved here from Manitoba, and the rent is completely out of control here. Is he, I don't know if you can text him back to find out what what he's paying, because when I look at, because I, I, I would, and I, I will do some kind of monitoring of that, because I suspect it's a problem in our major centers and I suspect we also have a problem of supply because so many people have now moved here. This is the this is the good news story is that we have now seen a record number of people coming into our province. Uh, we have seen we're, we're, we have seen a complete turnaround on job creation from 180,000 uh, jobs lost prior to the UCP coming in to now 220,000 jobs gained. And what that means is more people want to come here, and yeah. if more people come here if we don't have the the housing stock. And inventory is at record lows, or, or near record. And lows. you know a thing or two about what's happening on housing prices, but yes. I suspect it's also a pinch on on the uh, the rental prices. So I will I'll, I'll have a, a chance to talk to Matt Jones about that. The problem with rent control controls is that they they send the wrong message to the market if you put if you tell a, a, a business owner an apartment owner we're going to cap how much you're able to earn on that it means that you'll end up with few apartment owners willing to build what you can do is offer rent subsidies so for those who are most in need and if we need to do a little bit more to assist with some rent subsidies in programs that might already exist that that might be the solution until we start seeing more of the uh, housing supply increase so that the so that over time we can bring those prices down but thanks for raising it and I'll, I'll 
see what uh, what Matt Jones can do to, to look into that. But if you want to text back in so that we know what you're paying, I'd be interested in knowing that. All right, we're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier. This is your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. If you've got a specific question you'd like the Premier to answer, the numbers 974-8255 in Calgary and Edmonton, 780-496-0063. We're going to go right to the phones and one more affordability question. Kim, calling from Calgary. Go ahead, Kim. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, two questions. Um, I'll just leave them both with you for to respond to. The first being, what accommodation are you offering to those who actually qualify for the benefit, but they have no access to private as in not publicly accessible, secure internet from which to apply for the six-month, $100-per-month benefit, and they are not currently receiving Alberta government income supplements. The second being potentially a two-part question. We file annual provincial and federal income tax that includes not only income details, but also family composition and dependent details. Does the Alberta government not have access to this data? And if they do, why aren't they proactively using this data in order to auto-generate truly targeted benefits to the majority of qualified Alberta residents, thereby substantially reducing the volume of applications filed manually to those for whom this data either doesn't currently exist or they've experienced substantial life or employment changes since they last filed that would um, potentially impact their, Im- their benefit qualification status as these changes would not yet be reflected in existing data thank you thanks for your your thoughts on that so let me answer the second one first and i think it it comes down to the the idea that we want to have the most recent data as you point out which would be 2022 and most people don't get their t4s and file their tax return until april 30th and we want to start this program in january i suppose we could use 2021 uh, but we wanted also to make sure that there was a, a proactive approach because not everybody needs to have the support. And so we want to make sure that uh, if uh, people don't need it, they uh, they don't need to apply. People who do need it should be encouraged to apply. So, so that's part of what we wanted to do. We didn't want to presume necessarily that uh, everyone who can qualify for this is necessarily going to to, uh, to to go online and apply for it. So that's part of what we... And I think we also saw through the federal program with the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit that people are pretty good at being able to figure out and navigate how to manage these programs. And so we just know that we need to develop the internal capacity so that we can do more of this in future. That's part of the reason why we took the approach that we did. Um, And then as for finding secure internet, I'll I'll flag that for Matt Jones so that he has an answer for you on Monday when he does his press conference. So um, I'll I'll see if there is some other alternative. uh, Perhaps um, there are publicly available um, terminals that you might be able to use. I don't know if the libraries have that, but I'll, I'll flag it for him to see if he can have a better answer for you. All right, text message. Uh, This is on the affordability uh, program. I'm stunned that you think people who make $180,000 a year need financial help. That's a lot of money. This one coming in uh, from Jay, uh, 630 Ched. And I know we've talked about this before, Premier Smith. Um, you're using a federal guideline, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, I mean, I ha- I went to a Habitat for Humanity home yesterday in, in Brooks, and it was a, a family with um, um, a husband and wife with seven children. 
And I, I must tell you, if you are making 180000 a year, you, you're, you, you've got a certain portion of that that's taken off with taxes, and you've got the additional cost associated with, uh, with having that many, that many mouths to feed in, uh, in, in the home and all the activities and all the other additional costs. So I think what had happened is when we were trying to contemplate how we would approach this, one of the things I, I hear a lot, and this is something that Matt Jones and I talked about, is that we do a really good job of providing income support for the very low income. But middle-income families are the ones who get really pressed when all of these prices go up, when, uh, especially on food and on, on the basics, uh, your home heating, your electricity, and your diesel. So we wanted to make sure that we weren't excluding middle-income families. And family size is also one of those factors that cause those prices to go up. So when we were looking at how what we set the, the, the value at, we, we used the same value that the federal and provincial governments came up with in determining who would get the subsidy for uh, for child care. And that was 180000 and that seemed to be reasonable to put those in sync. All right. Uh, Kent uh, calling in on the CHQR line uh, on the rent control. He says, I just listened to your answer on rent control. You only focused on new buildings. As I understand it, rent control on older buildings makes a lot of sense because the building owners have already recouped a good portion of the cost. The programs, if properly constructed, are effective and help prevent gouging. And another uh, texter said uh, they live uh, in an older building, no improvements made. I, I still am of the view that you're better to subsidize the individual rather than to put price controls on an on an on, a, on an individual owner. Because I, I mean, I, I take your point, but oftentimes people who own an apartment complex would be thinking of, of buying a second one or a third one or a fourth one, and you want to be able to make sure that you're incentivizing new construction. Because when you're in the reason why you end up with prices going up is because you've got a shortage of supply. So you want to make sure that you continue to have the a, a market that will will cause new people to come in and invest. And so I, I guess we, we may have to just agree to disagree on that, but I, I can I can look into whether or not we can provide some rent subsidy on an individual basis to those who need it. That might be the, the way that we address this short-term problem that we've got. All right. Dennis is phoning in from Leduc with a car insurance question. Go ahead, Dennis. You're on with Premier Smith. Thank you for your valuable time. I'm, I'm a single person with multiple policies, automobile and house property. Uh, I carry no collision insurance on my vehicles, uh, and I feel that I'm being uh, persecuted against uh, with the no-fault insurances. Uh, One of the best policies I do have is a Haggerty insurance policy, which is the best coverage out of all my policies, and it is the cheapest. Um, definitely, we have problems. We have problems with automobile insurance and property insurance in the province. What What are you paying? Just to give me some idea of why you think it's because uh, not. It's funny. Um, not everybody is experiencing the extraordinary increases. I, I've, I've just done some sort of straw polling, and it seems like anywhere well, from it, about two thirds of people have either seen the same or lower. But then there's a third of the people I ask, and it's dramatically increased. So I'm just wondering what your what your situation is. Well, it's not dramatically increased, but the it just the total total creep of prices. Yeah, uh, like my insurance bill at the end of the year totals in the neighborhood of $8,000. And I have no poly, no po- property claims and no insurance or, or no um, uh, collision uh, automobile claims. 
And plus, I have shopped around. I actually do have a very good agency. We are trying to get to the bottom of this, Dennis. And one of the things that we have in our market, which has been unique, is one calamity after another. So the the Southern Alberta floods in 2013, and then, of course, Slave Lake fires, Fort McMurray fires. We've had this massive hailstorm that happened, the ice storm that occurred. And all of those things get factored into how, how insurance premiums are levied. Now, I have been told that because 2023 marks a 10-year anniversary being past the, the great floods, that we, we should see some kind of adjustment that should come off the calculation. That's what one of the things we'll be watching for. But the other thing I'm quite curious about is whether we are we are facing just a generally higher risk rating on the basis of what might happen in the future. And if some of those uh, extreme weather events don't materialize, it seems like there should be some way of readjusting. So th- that's the conversation that we're having with the industry. Is it because we've had so many of these extreme weather events? The other thing I find a bit frustrating is that uh, government always steps in when we have these massive kinds of, of natural disasters. And so do do we need to formalize some kind of partnership that when these extreme events happen, they, they know that we're going to cover a certain portion of the cost and so they can pass on that savings to their customers. The, that Those are a couple of the things that have been suggested to me, but there is no excuse for what we're seeing. It's uh, the, the, the Ernst & Young report showed quite clearly, no matter what your age, no matter what car you drive, you are you are going to be paying more in Alberta for your auto insurance than in sure. any other province. And so that is not just an anomaly, that is a pattern. And so we need to figure out why systemically it's not working in, the, in this province. All right. Premier Smith, we have run out of time. Thanks for joining us in studio this morning. My pleasure. We'll see you next week. You bet. It's uh, it's going to be a, a good week weather-wise and uh, hopefully a good week for, for everyone in the coming week as well. We will do this again next Saturday at 10 o'clock. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.